Hello and welcome to the How to Exit podcast, where we introduce you to a world of small to medium business acquisitions and mergers. We interview business owners, industry leaders, authors, mentors, and other influencers with the sole intent to share with you what it looks like to buy or sell a business. Let's get rolling. And now a moment for our sponsors. I want to highly recommend you get Acquisition Aficionado Magazine. Every month, Acquisition Aficionado Magazine brings you tactics for business buying and selling you won't find anywhere else. Learn firsthand from industry leaders who share their success stories, featuring in-depth interviews and stories from leading figures in the business acquisition industry. This multi-platform mobile magazine speaks to acquisition entrepreneurs wherever they are in the journey. And I want you to visit acquisitionaficionado.com today. Hello and welcome to How to Exit. Today we're here with Sir Darren Jacqueline. He's an acquisition entrepreneur, board member of EXP, the fastest growing real estate brokerage in the world, and author of Until I Become. I want to welcome you today, Sir uh, Darren, man. It's really cool to have you on the show. I'm grateful to be here and be in service and make a contribution. Yeah, I love that, Sir Darren. We got to tackle that pretty quick. It's the first sure. time I've ever had a night on the show. So <laughs> that's pretty cool. So, how about we just kind of we jump into the origin story? And sure. we'll end with like, we'll wrap the origin story because you got knighted recently. So start wherever you're comfortable. Let's just talk about how, where you started from and how you got to where you are now. And then we'll end with the knighthood. Yeah. So I'll kind of give a three-step process here. I'll go, I'll talk about my backstory, my come-up story, and the success stories today. My backstory is quite unique. I grew up, I'm Canadian. I grew up, I live currently here in Vancouver, British Columbia, Canada. I grew up on the prairies. I grew up in a place called Swift Current, Saskatchewan, Canada a city of less than 20,000 people in population. And I failed grade one of public school. I was misdiagnosed with a learning disability and a reading disability. And I was determined by the people in the school system at that time that I probably wouldn't amount to much being in regular classes. So I was put into what we call special ed or special education. So from grade one all the way through to grade 12 of public school, I was in a special education classroom for slow learning kids. But I think I was gifted. I had a genius level IQ. That I got later on tested for, but I didn't fit into the bricks and mortar school system structure at the time where I went to school. And so when I was seven years of age, I created my first little business called Rent-A-Kid. And I would go out and I would shovel snow in the wintertime, deliver newspapers six days a week, cut grass and look at odd jobs and always looking for opportunity zones. Where can I solve a problem in my neighborhood, my community for my neighbors and get paid as a fair means of exchange and monetize that experience? And then take that money and buy another lawnmower, buy another bicycle, always have money to go to the candy store and do things like that. By the time I was nine years of age, I hired my two best friends. Now I'm 50 years of age today. This is 43 years ago. And we're, I'm still great friends 43 years later with those two young guys that grew up in my neighborhood. So I went into junior high school. I struggled academically with low self-esteem, insecure, and I got into high school. And in grade 11, I was taken out of class one day by a guidance counselor and a school teacher. And they asked, if you graduate from grade 12, what do you plan to do with your life? And I said, I want to build a portfolio of companies. I want to make a lot of money. I want to have a lot of fun. I want to make a big difference in the world. And money was never the motivator. I want to use money as a tool because I didn't want to be told what to do. I wanted freedom. I wanted to live life on my own terms. I wanted to go to bed when I'm tired. I wanted to wake up when I was done sleeping. I wanted to travel the world with wherever I want, with whoever I want on my terms. Because as a kid growing up, I didn't get to live life on my terms. I was always told what to do. And I was always managed by other people who give 
be misguided in wrong information. But I'm grateful now looking back in my life because I had trauma as a child and I've done some therapy work and counseling and coaching work on that to realize that trauma was actually blessings in disguise to where I am today. And so then I did graduate from grade 12, barely passed public high school, went off, did multiple suicide attempts to end my life by driving my car 85 miles an hour, 140 kilometers an hour towards a telephone pole. And I used to premeditate and plan this out and visualize this for about six months of my time of my life. And then the final day, I just got scared. I couldn't do it. And I drove to a 24-hour telephone crisis line prevention center, rang the doorbell, and I turned myself in. They started offering me some counseling. And then from there, the lady who worked there, she really took a liking to me. She said, I'm going to introduce you to Dale Carnegie. This is back in the early 1990s. So I didn't know who Dale Carnegie was. He passed away, but he created a training development program called the Dale Carnegie Training Program. It's been around for decades best-selling book called How to Win Friends and Influence People, Dale Carnegie. So I went to this hotel and they had a 12-week program called the Dale Carnegie Training Program back in the early 1990s. And I signed up for it, financed it because I didn't have all the money to pay for the course at the time. And I financed it over a period of time and I took the course. And then I met a lady in the course who was in a group called Toastmasters International, the largest public speaking leadership organization on the planet today. And I think it's over 100 countries today in multiple languages all over the planet. And I came into that program totally scared, way out of my comfort zone. And Dale Carnegie Training Toastmasters was the environment that started to create my belief system and my mindset to build a positive environment. And from there, I went off to do different odd jobs. I'm terrible as an employee, by the way. Full disclosure, I'm terrible. I do not make a good employee. I'm gifted as an entrepreneur, and I'm really good at seeing things that people do not see, which are blind spots to the people. So it's turning a crisis into an opportunity, then monetizing that and turn it into cash flow. And so today I build a portfolio of world-class companies. I've built a six, seven, eight, nine-figure companies and been a part of a 10-figure company to building that. And I'm grateful for that. And I've learned some systems and strategies and processes that when you apply it, kind of like a recipe, like baking a cake, when you apply it, the system strategies and processes, and you have a great dedicated team of people that are like-minded, you can build extraordinary things in your life. And so I'm gifted in my life today that I've had some ex- incredible wins and victories and successes and have impacted a lot of people's lives around the world. And so today I get a chance to share my knowledge and pay it forward and pass it on as a legacy for me to make a contribution to other people's lives. Because I know what doesn't work because I've screwed up and I failed and I've had lots of adversities and setbacks and challenges and mistakes. I was once homeless. I've had my car repossessed. I've lived on the streets. I've lived in a treehouse. I've lived in an apple orchard. I've also been so financially broke that I was nine years behind on my paying my taxes many years ago. I had an R9 credit rating, which is the worst possible credit score you can get. And I was terrible at managing money. And today I've achieved a lot of financial success. I have a phenomenal credit rating. I have a lot of cash flow and multiple revenue streams. And uh, I've committed $100 million over the next 10 years towards global philanthropy through our family foundation called Link Foundation. So we're building schools right now over in Africa and helping to mitigate human and child sex trafficking, alleviating poverty, and also providing clean drinking water and providing education for the next generation. So, and I've, I've done acquisitions, I've bought companies, I've done a lot of things. So I'm not somebody who's got a bunch of degrees from Stanford or Harvard or Yale. I'm a guy that's got a strong work ethic. I'm in the trenches, roll up my sleeves and get to work and get things done and make results happen. That's really cool. So you the true rags to riches type of your story, right? You've been in the gutter and you're, you're up in the top. You're working with some top players of the world. And that's something that's, 
there's something to be said for that, right? There's a mindset, there's a work ethic that it takes to go from zero, having handed nothing handed to you and earning your place in the world. And I honestly see a lot of places where that it's almost part of your armor, right? Like you, you're, mm-hmm. you, we're going to, we're talking about, we're going to talk in a second about how your knighthood, but had it not been for your adversities in the world, you may not be as strong and strong-minded as you are. Right? I yeah, came yeah. from a middle-class family. I, we have a similar story. I mowed lawns and did lawn care. I was good at sales. So I remember when myself, we were in third grade because we hadn't moved out in the country yet. And so I'm in second or third grade. I was young. I could barely push a lawnmower. My cousin and I wanted to play video games. We didn't have any cash. So we took my dad's lawnmower out of the, out of the garage and went and sold so many lawns. By the end of the day, we like, we went and pre-sold them, took the money, played on some of it, came back and was trying to mow lawns. And eventually our parents had to step in and help us because we had sold so many <laughs> and we owed all these people a lawn mowing and we weren't getting them all done. So I learned wow. that lesson. And then we moved out to the country and we were four or five miles from town. And I wanted to earn some money again. And my dad told me he owned a painting and remodeling company. He said, you're too young to work for me. So when he went to work, I grabbed his push mower, pushed it all the way five miles into town one way and was mowing lawns. And one day I got bit by two pit bulls, like one grabbed one leg, one grabbed the other. It didn't tear me up too bad, but it made me bleed. And oh. the cops had called my dad and sort of telling him that I got bit and he needed to come take me to the doctor, have me checked out. And when the cop asked my dad, well, put him on the phone, I want to check on him. He was like, he's over there finishing the lawn. <laughs> <laughs> right. So as soon as he got the cop got the the dogs off me, I owed the guy a mowing and went over and finished mowing the lawn with bloody shorts. Wow. And the mindset is something that you're either born with or you learn through adversity, like through having to do stuff. So I really it's appreciate you say that, that because one of the things I always share with people is a practical thing to do is commit to your commitments. Right? Is what you give your word to your word creates your world. And most people we hear in business that talk is cheap. I think, you know, Ron, that most people cheapen their talk because their words have no power. And one of the key things to look at is being on time. To me, early is on time and on time is late. I use an iPhone and I put alarms in everything throughout my day. So I have different mm-hmm. alarms for everything. So I'm always on time and always in place. And a lot of people don't realize that how much your word affects and impacts other people's lives. And the thing is, it's about integrity. And without integrity, nothing works. There's no workability. And so what I always encourage people to do is just notice during the waking hours of your day, what do you give your word to? I used to, have, I used to be very insecure, very low self-esteem. I couldn't look you in the eye. I couldn't be present with you because I didn't believe in myself. I had a lot of negative self-talk, a lot of mind chatter. I had a whole committee or stadium of voices in my head. And when I started to reflect and do personal, professional development in inner child work, I realized Okay, where does all this negative self-talk, this mind chatter come from, from my experience? Well, it comes from a lot of broken agreements, a lot of broken promises that I couldn't keep my word to and I couldn't be consistent with my behavior. What I realized was in my life is that when I started to be accountable and responsible for what I give my word to, so it could be running an errand, it could be making my bed, it could be showing up on time, and I just follow through and I communicate that and I hold my integrity to being that, all of a sudden, my self-confidence and self-esteem started to increase. My finances changed. My 20s and 30s, that was a financial disaster. In my 40s, I give that decade, that 10 years to getting my money right. And I got my money right now. I've achieved a lot of financial success today over, the, over my 40s. And why? Because I realized how much out of financial integrity I was. I was way out of financial integrity. I owed people money. I exaggerated things. I embellished things. I inflated things. I wasn't accurate with information. 
again, you're good at sales. Well, I was good at master, master BSing people for a period of my time. And I felt like a fake and a fraud, but I had to pay my bills and I was under financial pressure and I had a credit rating that sucked and I owed money on my credit cards and lines of credits and I owed people money. And so I did made some really bad poor choices when I was under financial pressure. I know what it's like to be upside down, choked out financially, not knowing where my next dollars come from. And then I know what it's like to make millions of dollars and now you got to manage the money. See, it's not about ma making your first million is the hardest. And then one to five is hard. And then when you get up there, it's you got structures and systems and classes and people in place to do things. But I always say it's three steps. Step number one is to make money or earn money. But if you want to become a high net worth or ultra high net worth investor, you don't want to make money or earn money. You want to build businesses where you solve problems to collect money. Right? See, wealthy people don't make money or earn money. They collect money. Completely different mindset and different strategy. The masses of the population go out and work hard to earn money. I've got to earn money. you got to get up early, earn money. Wealthy people, don't, wealthy people don't work for money. They work to acquire income-producing assets to create what we call monthly recurring revenue, MRR, monthly recurring revenue. Doing something once and get paid for it ongoingly, recurringly, just like a recurring calendar meeting, recurring revenue. And I never understood that concept in my 20s and 30s. And so I was always up and down financially. And then my 40s, when I dedicated my life to getting my money right, I realized wealthy people don't work for money. They work to acquire income producing assets and they solve problems and then get paid to solve those problems and then create business models that create monthly recurring revenue. And so the key thing for people to look at is that the average millionaire in North America has seven revenue streams. I have many more than that. But the average person, so most people put all their eggs in one basket, which is high risk. And we saw that during COVID-19 and the global pandemic, when we're in lockdown, is people were trading time for money, paycheck to paycheck, which 78% of the North American population live paycheck to paycheck. And so the key thing is, you got to realize you've got to start to create multiple revenue streams. So if one dries up or one's just a little trickle or one's kind of slow that month or that quarter, you've got other revenue streams to cover it. Then you take that money and you create a six to 12 to 18 to 24 month cash reserves that can cover all the necessities of all your expenses. And when you do that, and it takes a period of time, takes a couple of years to put all that together. It doesn't happen overnight. There's no get rich quick things out there. It's slow, steady, step-by-step -step methodical. Then you create a lot more structure and security and safety in terms of mitigation of risk. When I look at investment opportunities all the time, I don't focus on the upside. Everybody's trying to sell me the dream and the blue ocean strategy. I spend 80 to 90% 80 of my time through the discovery and due diligence process on first question I ask in discovery, how is my money protected? If you can't answer it in less than 45 seconds, I'm out. Because now it's too complex. And if it's too complex, you give me an answer. It's too complex for me to exit with my investment. So people get into these speculative things and they don't do their research or their due diligence. And then they wonder why their money is not protected. And that's why they wonder why they lose their money. And I want to, when I put money out there, I want to multiply that money and create generational wealth that will be three generations now, 250 years from now. So I think differently mindset-wise when it comes to money is the money I'm investing today, what's the return on capital invested, ROCI, return on capital invested. How much is that money going to come back? And is it going to be impact generations to come? Most of you are thinking two weeks from now or two months from now or six months from now. Think generationally 100 years from now, your kids' kids' lives that the money you earn today and collect today is going to impact their lifestyle and their decision-making process a few generations from today. That shifts the mindset.
It really does. That's a big, even I don't think about like that. I think about like, what am I going to leave for my children and how am I going to structure that and stuff? But I don't really spend much time on what does that look for, like for their children or their children's children. And mm -hmm. it's a totally different mindset. And I could tell you're a mindset guy, your book is like until I become, and I'm, yes. I can read a lot into the title, but why don't you tell us about what until I become is and about the book. I thought, well, you know, great, great topic. For many years, I had people ask me to write a book and I had no interest. I was traveling the world, very successful as a corporate trainer, traveling 276 years a year globally, 50 countries, four continents, three weeks a month, I was somewhere on the planet. And I had some of the top best-selling New York best-selling authors in the world. I was having breakfasts, lunches, and dinners with these people. And they're like, Darren, why don't you write a book? And then Tatiana, who's my partner in life, love my life, she's got three academic degrees. She was a high school teacher for 35 years. She's now my partner in our portfolio of companies and our family foundation. But she was teaching for 35 years. She's got a master's degree in curriculum education. And during the COVID-19, during the lockdown, we were going through some of my old journals. that I've journaled for many years. I kept journals for many, many years as a way just for me to feel safe in terms of putting things down on paper and get things out of my head. And she says, you'll be a disservice to humanity if you didn't pay it forward and pass it on and share this knowledge transfer into a practical training development book that could create a ripple of impact in people's lives. And so that's where Until I Become was born. We hired a virtual team on Zoom video conferencing. And over the last 10 months, we put together Until I Become. It's a book that's less than 100 pages. It's a practical book. But it's a book that is being used in colleges, universities, and schools, and businesses. And I get stopped frequently on the street and in airports now and people all over the world. And it's a book that people will read more than once. It's also a book that you'll keep in your family library for many years. And it's a book that when you buy it, you'll gift it to your children or coworkers, or if you're a boss or an employer, you'll pay it forward and give it to your employees. And so it's called Until I Become, Until I Become.com. You can get it on Amazon. Probably you'll share a link as well. But I highly recommend that people invest in this book because, you know, it, it cost me over a million dollars of mistakes that I made that I'm gifting to you in terms of in this book to share with you. And it's, you're going to learn stuff in this book you've never learned before. You can go to Harvard and spend hundreds of thousands of dollars and get an MBA. You're going to come out and you're going to read my book and say, oh my gosh, this was not covered in my MBA. Now, now why do I say that? Because I get people who email me that and send me messages through social media saying, I've been to Harvard, Stanford, and Yale, and I've spoken to universities and colleges all over the world as a guest expert, a guest speaker at these conferences and conventions and universities. And I speak, and then when they get a chance to have a conversation with me, they're like, oh my gosh, I didn't know this information. And so that's my joy is I get tremendous joy to paying it forward and passing it on. And one of the things I talk about in Until I Become is most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. I have over 7,000 written documented goals for my life. And my target is to get to 10,000 written goals. And it's a struggle because every time I'm working towards 10,000, I'm always checking off goals and writing down new goals. And But most of our goals and dreams don't require our actions. And this is what I cover in Until I Become, is people say, what do you mean most of my goals and dreams don't require my actions? They don't. It's about creating teams and teamwork. I have a portfolio of companies. As I'm here right now, I have people all over the world in different cities, countries, continents, and time zones all over the world right now as I'm doing this that are running day-to-day -day operations of our portfolio companies that I'm being paid off of through multiple revenue streams, okay? But I'm doing what fulfills my love tank, which is being in service right now, which is the best and highest use of my time in terms of qualifying and protecting my time. 
And so the key thing is I love this. It's a high leveraged activity for me right now. What I'm doing is to be able to be in service with what I'm doing right now on this interview. So the thing is in the book, you're going to discover that most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. You're going to discover that your life, if you want to achieve more things personally and professionally is about two things, requests and promises. And I talk more about this than until I become that when you have a personal promise to yourself, mm -hmm. right, which is a goal or a dream or a desire that you set, and it's how you go out there through a network of conversations, talking to other human beings through a network of conversations, because that's how we are. If we're up in the International Space Station looking down on planet Earth and looking at all these human beings on the planet, we map out all these human beings like a social media grid map. All we are is a network of conversations. So anything you really, 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 really want is going to come from having conversations with strangers and making requests, making powerful requests, outrageous requests, unreasonable requests, but making requests. And I cover that until I become. So I give you specific strategies and practical information that when you apply it, you'll see a specific measurable and actionable result. And that's what I wanted, right. to do. I wanted to, for me, when I wrote the book, I didn't want to invest. I, I invested a hundred thousand us dollars into writing the book. Okay. It was hundred grand us. I paid to write the book and uh, hiring the staff and the people. I had payroll and all that stuff to pay for that. And when I wrote the book, what I wanted, what was in it for me was I wanted to collect stories, case studies, stories of when people saw me on the street or saw me in the airport or contacted me through social media, that they would say, I read your book and here's how it's impacted my life. And then they would share a story. And that's what I want. That was the juice for me. Awesome. Awesome. It's interesting. We have a lot of similar beliefs. Like I'm a big believer in it. On, on your word and anything and yes. communication, anything you have now, anything you've ever had in the past, anything you want in the future is directly correlated to conversations you've either had, avoided having, or should have, right? Correct. It's, it's all in that the difference, like I, I said it back when I was a real estate investor and I knew it, but I like the difference, it, it clicked one day, the difference between me and it's a bad example now because some people hate him, like, but Donald Trump, I bought and sold residential houses. I had conversations with people who were losing their house in foreclosure and mm -hmm. banks to buy it from them and private lenders where Trump would be having like conversations with city officials to buy golf courses or land for golf courses, skyscrapers, mm -hmm. same, the only difference is who, what I'm saying and who I'm saying it to. Absolutely. And that's kind of one of the reasons I moved in this space is let's just have higher level of conversations. Let's have higher level communications. The well, second thing that really, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I'll give you an example. So I was recently with a family office and mm -hmm. this is an ultra high net worth family and they have their own family office. So I was raising 10 million US dollars to go buy some more acquisitions and do a roll up. So we're buying these companies, CPA firms across America, because there's a big problem right now across America. And I own a multi-million dollar CPA firm is one of my companies called Profitopia. And so I wanted to raise 10 million US dollars from a family office to go out and acquire some CPA firms and then acquire the book of business and the employees and then roll it up into our parent company called Profitopia.com. And so I went and sat down with this one family office, our team, and we're meeting with this family here in North America and we're sitting down with them in person. And we're talking about how we need to raise $10 million of private capital. Here's our strategic roadmap and here's our plan. And here's how you're going to get it back. And here's our whole data room and all that stuff during the discussion. And they turned us down. They rejected us because we weren't asking for 30 million us dollars. We we're only asking for 10 million us dollars. And they said, if you wouldn't need 30 million right now, we would have wrote you a check but you're only asking for 10 million, you're not asking for enough. And your deal is too small for us to get into for return on invested capital. And so when you want 30 million, come back to us. And I've been in situations where I've went out to raise $10,000 and I have struggled with a lot of rejection. And yet I went out and raised a million dollars or 5 million or $10 million on other projects. And I get money faster. I remember I was on a call here in the last couple of years 
It was a one-hour call, and a lady wired a million dollars for one of our projects to raise money. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I've made a couple hundred phone calls in the last week to all kinds of people, and I've raised $50,000 And in terms of commitments, soft and hard commitments. And I just one phone call from an ultra-high network person, I'm in for a million bucks. And so yeah. we play too small in our lives. Sometimes we're thinking we're really big, but we're actually playing really small, right? Like I share with people that I've committed $100 million over the next 10 years for global philanthropy through Link Foundation, our family foundation. But yet some of the people I was with a family earlier this year, they give $60 million a year to, to philanthropy and to charity. $60 million a year. And they have some right. big, big companies and big businesses that people know if I mention the names. And so I think I'm playing a big game compared to what? Right? right. And I was just recently in Seattle, Washington with a billionaire and we had dinner with a, with a, I won't mention his name, but people know he is multi-billionaire is very well known, very high profile. And uh, when I told him what I was going to give him a hundred million, he's like, well, that's pretty small. I'm like, really? And he's given away, they give away billions to, to philanthropy and charities. Wow. Wow. And I'm thinking, wow. You know, so you just never know when you're around different people, the mindset of how people play a game, but it comes down to your daily habits, your daily routines and your environment of who you hang out with is so important. Because I never used to think this way, but I got around different people in different environments and my mindset started to think differently. It's one of the reasons I do this podcast, right? Because it clicked in my head when I was starting in acquisitions and mergers is like, if you're playing the biggest game in your circle of friends and people you talk to on a regular basis, you're in the wrong room. Absolutely. And I was in a stage where I'm talking about like buy, going out and buying companies and through raising money and SBA loans and stuff. And people like, you don't have that kind of cash. It's like, I don't need that kind of cash. I can, you know, right. And they just, my family and friends would be like looking at me like I was an alien. They're just like, you're not going to pull this off. I was like, now you got me, you fired me up. Tell me I'm not going to do something. But it clicked in my head, right? That, that like, I'm in the wrong circles. I'm hanging out with the wrong people. If I'm playing the biggest game in the room, mm -hmm. I'm in the wrong room. Absolutely. Right? And yeah. you said something earlier, and I'm going to, I'm going to look, I'm going to dig. I have a, uh, a blog post I wrote years ago when I was doing marketing coaching and it's, about giving word and committing to the power of your word and committing to promises and stuff. What's what I'm looking for? It was inspired by mm -hmm. a program I was in. It was a self-help development program. Landmark? By, yeah, Landmark. It was definitely from that. Yeah. I've, I've <laughs> so Landmark trained as well. Yeah, I've done, in full disclosure, I've done all the Landmark training I can get my hands on. So I've done both initial, the first the one Landmark they do. Forum, Forum. The I've done the leadership program, team management leadership I, program. Yeah, I did team, team management leadership program. I've not, I haven't, I'm not an introduction leader. That's really, and I don't think, no, I didn't do the self-development. I did the four main ones and I jumped straight to a TMLP yeah. and then we moved to California. So I'll probably go back and do the self-development leadership, self -expression program, leadership maybe, program. Yeah. So, but yeah, so that's funny. I, a lot of terminology you were using. I was like, oh, I'm going to ask him after the show if he's done a landmark, awesome. but full disclosure, I've done it too. And I love it. But one of the things that's spurred out of that thing is the power of your word. And mm -hmm. I've realized that we've lost that in the last few generations. So our parents' parents, maybe even our grandparents' generation, there was no credit score. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to give it a bank, your word, and quite frankly, the word of your family Absolutely. would be determination. As much as your idea and business plan or anything else you had, it was your word was, would be whether or not that banker and his belief in you, whether or not he would loan the money. And what we've lost in that in the couple of generations through social media and credit scores and everything else is who's responsible for word. And it's exactly mm -hmm. opposite as 95% of the people. When you tell me I'm going to go conquer the world, if mm -hmm. I, so here's the thing, a lot of people get this wrong, but I know you're not going to, but I'm not even going to test you. But if I, if I say I'm going to do X, Y, and Z and you go, okay, who's responsible for me doing X, Y, Z? 
We both are. We both are, right? Because you've accepted that promise. And a lot of people don't get that. I've had people go, I've had a friend of mine who's like, I'm going to quit smoking. If you ever sing me with a cigarette in my mouth again, you knock me out. A few weeks later, they come up. And this is in the last couple of years. A few weeks later, they come up. They got a cigarette hanging out of their mouth. I said, come here. We got to get out of public view. And he said, why? And I crack them. And I pop. I try. <laughs> and like, oh, that hurt. What did you do that for? I said, you made a commitment to me. And unfortunately, I accepted that commitment. Absolutely. Right? And I'm a, I'm a trained MMA guy. I taught martial arts for 18 years, right? So I got the best shot at hitting him. I got him right in the ear by his jaw and he didn't go down, but he's got a strong jaw, but don't tell me you're going to do something. And I, it was consenting because <laughs> I told him it's coming. You, I told him beforehand, it wasn't a surprise. So it wasn't assault, right? You had you know, an agreement with him, right? You know, we had an agreement. You told me to do this. He's like, oh man, he turned his head. I was like, yeah, are you really going to do it? And I got him. The point is, is most people lose that. In today's society, if somebody tells you you're going to do X, Y, and Z, and you don't uh, say, and I believe in that. I'm going to do X by Y, and I'm going to describe, I'm gonna, and it's going to contain this. If, if you tell me you're going to do, you know, something by Friday at 3 p.m. at Friday at 2:55, I'm going to I'm going to reach out to you and go, hey, it's Friday at 2:55. How are we doing? Mm -hmm. Right. Otherwise, I'm going to tell you, like, look, I just did this yesterday or the day before with a friend on the phone. I was like, look, I accept your enthusiasm. But I'm not going to accept your promise because he promised me he's going to do something by a particular date and time. It was for him, not me. I was like, I just can't accept that promise. They said, why? Because I can't be held accountable for you doing what you say you're going to do. Not that I don't believe in you, not that I want to discourage you or anything. But if I say, yeah, you're going to do that, then it's my job to track that and make sure you do it. And he just didn't understand my methodology or my mindset around that. And if more people did that, if more people held you to your word, yeah. and if you held other people to their word more often, it sets a level of expectations you wouldn't believe. Well, My wife. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. So, so recently we did a hiking fundraiser. I love hiking. I'm down 40 pounds. I've released 40 pounds in the last year just from hiking. You know, doors here in Vancouver. I found it. You got to stop and that. You it's incredible how I feel. Like I just, I look so much younger. And so just recently we did a hiking fundraiser. We have a website, hikingfundraiser.com. But through Link Fundraiser, we did a hiking fundraiser because all these people want to come hiking with me. So I had a virtual team on Zoom, an Olympic athlete, former professional national football league player, NFL football player on our team, and we're all volunteers. So I we were, I was doing a conversation with everybody. I said, okay, so what are we lying on right now? What's our promise right now of how many people we want to sign up and register for the hiking fundraiser and come out and do the E2E, Elevate to Educate Hike, E2E. And so we all lined on 25 paid registered hikers to come out. So every day I on the WhatsApp channel, I go to our team. What's our promise? Our promise that we line on is 25. What's our actual? What's our gap? So promise, actual gap. These are our metrics. Mm -hmm. So our promise is 25. Our actual right now is zero, signed up and paid, and mm -hmm. our gap is 25. And I'd give them the metrics every day, like a scoreboard because they're professional athletes. So on the day of the hike, our promise was 25. Our actual was 43. And our gap was plus 16. We exceeded our target because whatever you see, if you manage, what you don't, if you manage it, if you pay attention to managing the numbers, right? The numbers keep score, then you know what to do, right? It's so important that people don't metric things and they don't know what the, the when I started to pay attention to my credit score, when I was in the three hundreds, it changed. When I started to pay attention to my personal financial net worth, because I was upside down financially. And I started writing down all of my financial integrities of where I was out of financial integrity. And I started to make lists. In the beginning, my ego says, you don't know anybody, anything. You don't have any out of integrities. So when I started to keep track of all the out of integrities and started to clean up that mess over a period of time, my life started to change. And most 
So don't do that. They don't clean up the messes. They step over yeah. it. I, I love what you do as well. And that's so important. It's, success is not something you go out in the world to pursue. Success is something you attract into your life by the person that you become. Right? I always say when you walk through the door, who shows up? Like when people, I, when I hike all the time and I'm, I'm an early morning person, I get up at four and five in the morning. I'm an early riser. I love meeting people early in the morning, whether it's airports or hiking trails or I'm up and I always say good morning to people. And people always ask me, well, how are you? Today? I say, I'm grateful. You're like, what do you mean you're grateful for? Because most people say I'm not bad or not too bad. I always say right. I'm grateful because I'm grateful I get a chance to my next breath. I'm grateful I have this thing called life, which is a miracle I woke up today. And most of them don't realize how they take their life for granted, not realizing that the life is a gift. Life is a journey. It's not a destination. This is your life right now. You are an extra in your own movie because mo most people are an extra in their own movie. They're not watching their life as the main character. They're the extra in their own movie. Awesome. We're on M&A podcast. We probably ought to circle back in a little bit of the M&A stuff. I love what we're talking about now. And it really is direct. I mean, your mindset, your word, these conversations we're having now, it's critical to get right and to bring some integrity back in your life before you start talking to companies about buying them and stuff. The first phase of buying anything or acquiring anything from anybody, especially the small to medium phases where you're not just buying and selling stock, you're buying a company from an individual or a team of individuals who created it. Rapport is critical. They have to know you like you, trust you, and know where you're going. Mm -hmm. And your, your word, I joke around and said the first phase is always you are who Google says you are. When somebody starts Googling around and reads stories about you and everything else, before they even get to get on the phone with you, a lot of people are going to do that. So you're who you are, who Google shows, uh, says you are. And then the second phase is it's you are who you show up as, mm -hmm. right? And if you don't show up with that confidence, holding to your word, you're not the five dime there that's five minutes early. You start to put in seeds of doubt from step one. If you're five minutes late, everybody's like, well, he's not even showing up on time. Is this guy serious? All, right. All those seeds of doubt damage that rapport. And I've talked to, right, I'm going close to, by the end of the year, I'll have over a hundred interviews with guys who have bought Great. millions of dollars worth of business. And they, a lot of them will say, businesses are bought off financials. Almost everybody I really talk to that's actually done it will say 40% of it's financials. The other 60% of it is the team, the rapport, the relationship. You know, relationship, right? It's even when they're making an offer to buy a company. They only look at 40% of it that they look at is the financials. It has to have decent financials. It has to show they have to believe they can grow it. But can they manage the team? Do they like the culture? Is the owner have is the owner's reputation one of integrity that they're, you know, that they're not going to have to battle with? Right? You can turn around a business that's having financials issues and stuff, but to turn around a bad rep is, is a lot harder. A lot of well, people don't hear Profitopia, yeah. CPA firm. So we yeah. looked at in, in the US right now in Canada. Canada, the average CPA, chartered professional accountant, is 59 years of age. Okay. Yep. Between now and the year 2030, over 100,000 licensed CPAs across the United States of America are going to retire as a baby boomer. Okay. They have a CPA firm. They have a book of business. They have staff. Some may have a bricks and mortar building that they own or they release or they rent. So, what we did is we raised private money and we went out and we started taking down these acquisition targets of CPA firms, paying a 1.25 multiple. We borrowed the money. We're giving 12% as a loan. One year term, we pay monthly distributions on the 15th day of each month, direct deposit with an email report every month. So we're accountable, responsible for an integrity. And so the thing is, we just start buying these firms and then we roll them up into our parent company, which is Profitopia, right? This company. And then we do our transition planning 
and our strategic roadmap to grow and scale that. I believe that within three to five years, we'll be a $50 million revenue company, Profitopia. And just during the global pandemic, the last 18 months, we built it from a startup to almost $7 million in annual revenue. We're not even a two-year-old company yet. And so that's pretty impressive through acquisition. So I always say to people, it's easier to acquire revenue than to create revenue, right? Don't go out there and go to trade shows and conferences and seminars trying to find clients. Go out and buy a book of business by companies whether that are already existing. So what I do is when it comes to M&A is I always look at how can we solve a problem? Whether it's in the dentistry industry, it's in the chiropractic industry, it's in the accounting industry, it's in the engineering industry, the construction industry. Pick your lane that you want to be in and then build your team of like-minded people around you and love all over your team. Spend time with them and protect your inner circle. And then find a way to solve a problem in that industry. Right? We're solving a problem right now in the CPA industry. Why? Because these CPAs, they want to retire as a baby boomer. They want to have a succession plan. They want to have an exit. They want to go through a liquidity event. And so we're helping them get that off-ramp for that successful exit the next couple of years. So we're acquiring these firms and rolling this up into our parent company of Profitopia. Then down the road, myself and my partners will either keep Profitopia for cash flow or we'll sell to one of the big four CPA firms like Deloitte or Ernst & Young or KPMG, or we'll sell to a private equity. And we'll have some of those high-level discussions down the road. Right now, we're having a lot of fun with what we're doing. So M&A is not hard. It's a mindset. It's hard if you do it by yourself. I've done that right. by myself. It's an uphill battle. But if there's a strength in numbers of a team, and then sit down and get out the whiteboards or the flip charts and think, what problem are we solving here in what industry right now? In terms of mergers and acquisitions, what problem can we solve? And how can we acquire this business using other people's money, create win-win opportunities that everybody wins, and then how do we grow and scale this company? Because there's so many opportunities out there all the time. And I get approached by so much stuff all the time, but I stay focused and I stay in my lane. Right now, my focus is CPA firms, right? And then we'll roll them up until we have, we got over 80 full-time staff right now with Profitopia. But the key thing is you don't have to know everything. You just have to have a seat at the table and get around other people who know the numbers, know the legal, know the accounting, know the bookkeeping, know how to do the discovery and the due diligence, know the systems and processes. I'm a visionary. I'm not the integrator. Now, how do I know that? There's two books people must read. One is called Rocket Fuel. The other book is called Traction. Rocket mm -hmm. Fuel and Traction. Two must read or listen to books that will tell you whether you're a visionary or an integrator. I don't like doing integration work. I, I, do I. Do <laughs> integrations. I like working very high level on things. Yeah, I, I test out very, very high on the visionary scale. I'm always looking for integrators. So if you're listening to the show and you're, you score high on the integrator, you're entrepreneurial minded, reach out to me because I like to talk to you. I'm always looking for people who are natural born integrators. It's, I think in the entrepreneurial world, there's more visionaries. I yes. think a lot of us are. Let's talk about the, the space of like, what is the economy going to impact what you're doing? I can see CPA firms being a little, or probably quite a bit, resistant to a recession and up and sound. We're heading into a rough cycle here of the, of the economy. We're already in it by most people's standards. And I'm sure it'll recover at some point. I don't know if it's a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. I'm not asking for a financial forecast on that, but how do you see, how do you see it impacting what you're doing in the CPA world? Is it going to help the CPAs or is it oh, going to? Absolutely. Yeah. The IRS always wants to get paid. It doesn't care what the weather's doing, the economy's doing, who's in political power. The IRS wants to get paid paid. you got to pay your money in your taxes, right? Death and taxes. So there's that aspect of things. Another thing is too, is ancillary services. So what we are doing with Profitopia is we're becoming a one-stop shop. So we do your bookkeeping, your accounting, your tax planning. If you're going through an audit, we'll do that as well. And then we'll do your wills, 
your estate planning, we'll help you with your credit score, we'll help you with legal protection, we'll help you with generational wealth planning. So we have an array of uh, multiple revenue streams that we generate, but we have ancillary services. Another thing is too, is as we go forward, the thing is that people have to realize they have to diversify. People's jobs become unsafe or unsecure because of the markets. So people start to diversify thinking, man, I gotta do Uber or Lyft or a side hustle or a side gig or something like that. But the accounting industry is very boring. The accounting CPAs don't like risk. They don't like change. It's very boring. That's why I'm so blessed with Tatiana, my partner in life, because Tatiana was a high school teacher for 35 years. She's my integrator. She's very detail-oriented. Mm -hmm. So she gets on a Zoom video conferencing once we complete an acquisition. And just like running a high school, just like running a school classroom, she gets on a Zoom as a virtual classroom and she runs through everybody through a transition planning process. And she's gifted at that. But right. I see going forward into the future, I see... The way my mindset is, there's always opportunities. So I always encourage people, start stockpiling cash. Just like a squirrel going out there and collecting nuts in the forest, sit on cash, rack and stack cash right now. Because when you have cash set aside that you're liquid with cash, you've got great buying opportunities because the strong eat the weak during tough times in business cycles. And I own a so, bunch of real estate right now. We're in the middle of selling notes and selling properties and stuff just because right they don't cash flow up they don't cash flow as much as my business do they mm -hmm. were just kind of a safe bet and right now the market's at the top and we're starting to soften pretty quickly so if i sell those now i get the most out of them unfortunately i i owner financed a bunch of the property so i'm selling notes so i didn't get the peak of the my equity is what i sold them for not mm -hmm. what they're currently worth but i want to be sitting on some cash too as much as i possibly can can, can handle just because of these acquisitions and opportunities that are coming available are going yeah. to be better priced and better priced depending on the economy. And a lot of people like cash is kind of dangerous because inflation is so high. And I was like, not so much when you know how to deploy it and to hedge against that inflation. Yeah. It's, you can take advantage of down cycles and uh, there's always opportunity zones. But the key thing is it's always about who you hang out with, who you spend time with. And most people get information from the talking heads on TV, right? I hang out with people who've got large portfolios who are high net worth, ultra high net worth people. And always find out what are the next five moves they're making. Yeah, so that's that's the thing to ask. It's like find somebody. Like I said, you're in. If you're playing the biggest game in the room, you're in the wrong. You're in the wrong room. So find mm -hmm. people that are playing bigger games and say, what are your next moves? Because some of these guys, some of the people like you and some other people on the show, they've invested a lot of money and time and energy, and they have team members that have done that research and they just know it off the off the, the tip yes. of their finger. So that's one of the reasons my favorite. One of the reasons my favorite question is how the economy going to hit you is just because I'm looking for that too. I had a friend who's doing a chocolate roll-up and he's like, we were talking about the recession. I was like, you know what? I think people are going to buy chocolate whether it's a good recession or not. I like to celebrate. I like a little chocolate with wine when I celebrate. And if I'm depressed, I'll probably turn to chocolate too. I eat more <laughs> probably chocolate than my wife does. So I don't- I, day, You got Mother's Day, you got Christmas, you got all the holidays where people like to buy chocolate, right? And all throughout yeah. the year. Even gourmet chocolate, like high-end chocolatiers, is still more affordable than the, a lot of like what would be considered luxury items. So I don't think he's going to have a problem. I think that uh, there's a <clears throat> there's some other industries. If it was if he was a gourmet restaurant where it cost three hundred dollars to go sit down at the table, mm -hmm. I would be worried about the recession and and COVID coming back or something. But with what he's doing, I think he's fine. But uh, how do you circle back around? You've got a book out there and stuff. You've done a lot of work on yourself to help you get where you are now. If you could recommend two or three books or topics or places to go to, to get somebody, you know, over the hump, or, I have a lot of people on the show and a lot of people I talk to that are acquisition entrepreneurs, but they haven't done their first deal that I think it's in yeah. their head. Well, big thing is, is get a mentor. 
get, get a mentor, spend time with someone. Like I, I even volunteer. Like I, I've went and got a hold of billionaires and I've volunteered to do things for them mm-hmm. for a period of time. The key thing is proximity is power. You want to have a seat at the table, right? So the key thing is get around people. Like I, I do a lot of hiking here in Vancouver, mm-hmm. Canada. When I travel, I do a lot of hiking. And they always say that a lot of deals are done on the golf course. I tell you, I've seen millions and millions of dollars change hands on a hiking trail. So get around people who are succeeding better than you, whether it's going to a charity event, a fundraising event, a sporting event, driving around the same neighborhood. Get around those people is so important with what you're doing in life because you don't have to go out and make a whole bunch of money. You have to get around money that's already been made and find a way to provide a value and service and solve a problem and be part of that deal or part of that opportunity. Right. It's people don't realize that they struggle so much because they try to do things by themselves. And I'm guilty right. of doing that in my twenties and my thirties. But when you start to get around other people and find out what they're doing, is it's so important. I was hiking the other day with a bunch of people and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, like financially, I'm net worth and all you guys combined. I didn't say this, I'm not trying to brag, I'm using this as an example. But yeah, you guys they're doing all the talking and they don't know what they're talking about because they're stuck with their, where they're at. They've never made a million dollars. They've never made millions of dollars. They never bored millions of dollars. They never raised millions of dollars. And you're talking. I mean, myself, and I'm the quietest one in the group thinking, why don't they just listen and ask questions? So when I meet people, I listen and ask questions. Like when I meet somebody who's very successful, I prepare myself in advance. I go online, I Google search, I read articles, I watch videos, I listen to podcasts, all that stuff. So I have a context of that person before I go in and find a way how I can be in service and be a value and be a contribution to that person. Take a millionaire, meet, make a target every month that, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to meet two millionaires a month. I'm going to go out and have a breakfast or lunch or dinner with them, or I'm going to find a way to get in proximity and be around those people and just listen, ask questions. What are they working on? How do they go through discovery process? How do they do due diligence? What was the biggest mistake they made? What was their biggest failure versus your challenge and how did they get through it and overcome it? Right? Because like my two greatest risks in my life is my health and my relationship. It's my two biggest risks in my life. Because mm-hmm. if something happens to my health, now I have contingency plans and cash reserves and insurance and all that stuff to mitigate for all that, that I pre-planned for all that stuff, and in my relationship. So I just came back off a four-day retreat out in the Arizona desert in the U.S. with the Bulletproof Husband Program. I paid $300 a month to be part of the Bulletproof Husband Program to work on my relationship, to work on my vulnerability, to work on my fears, my doubts, my worries, my insecurities, to allow me to connect deeper to my relationship with Tatiana, to learn how to spend and block time so it's relationship intimate time versus business time, how to shut my phone off, let it go to voicemail and not respond so I'm focused on my relationship. So I pay money every month to be part of a group of men called the Bulletproof Husband Program to do stuff like that. So constantly create structures around you so you can thrive. Join different mastermind groups. I have a personal coach. I meet with every Friday. Every Friday, I have a coach. I pay a monthly retainer for this, and it's not cheap. Sometimes my mind goes to just, why am I paying all this money? Because the return on investment of the results. But also look at your life too. It's not just about the financial return on investment. I turned down a very lucrative board of directors position here recently. I got headhunted. Like I'm always being, I serve on four paid boards of directors of very high profile companies. One being a NASDAQ company. I've been to NASDAQ twice now to ring the closing bell. And I'm going back again the third time to ring the bell in New York City with another company here in the near future. We're just in process of that right now. So I'm being headhunted all the time to serve on paid boards of directors, paid advisor boards. Why this company recently came to me and they offered me a lot of money and a lot of bonuses and stock options and incentives to join their board of directors. And if I told you the amount, people are like, wow, you turned around that kind of amount of money? I did. To me, it wasn't about the money. 
to me it was about two things, return on life and return on energy. And sometimes people get into a deal because of the money and they're sucked dry of their energy and they're drained. To me, it's about return on life and return on energy. Was I've done that. And when I counter offered their, their opportunity, they came back and said, okay, we got an open checkbook. How much to, to buy you right now to be on our board? And I'm like, it's not about the money. You can offer yeah. twice as much as you want. The answer is still no. It's a firm no. It's a hard no. And they're like, really? I'm like, no. Because to me, I don't get the return on energy from this group. This is a transactional group. It's not right. a relational group. I don't want to be around transactional people. I want to be around relational people because it's all about connections. It's all about relationship building and relationship equity. And in a uh, much smaller in a much scale, smaller scale, I've done that and I've regretted it where somebody offered me, it's like, hey, I want you to do X, Y, and Z. And I was like, man, I really don't want to do this. This is going to just sap the life of me. I hate it. And uh, okay, uh, this is much earlier in life. I was like, okay, $250 an hour. I threw a number I just thought would be insane for them to say yes to. This is writing the documents back in the day. And then when they said yes, I was like, I already, it's my word. I they asked me how much. I gave them a number thinking they would never accept it, right? I think I said $200. I was making eight, eight, eight grand a week. So it's two, $200 an hour to write a securities document to help them get do business in another country. And I was like, I don't want to write freaking documents. That's not who I am, <laughs> right? And you're like, well, how much do you want? $200 an hour. Like, okay. And the next thing I know I'm writing, it was a fairly expensive 60 page document that they had mm -hmm. me write over a couple of months. But uh, I did not enjoy it. it was, every day was miserable, but I, and, and they could see it. By the time we get done with it, they walked me out like, okay, the document's done. Great job on the document. We need to, we need you to leave because they just, I wasn't nice about it. I didn't want to be there when they went and turned stuff. I was trying to get it done when they didn't turn stuff in on time. I was very, Hey, you're paying me. And I would just like, you know, in front of other people, you're paying me 200 freaking dollars an hour to write this stupid document. Get over here and turn this in. I want to get it done. And I promise you the day I said, okay, it's complete. The European goes for something new business in Europe. They've already accepted it. I've already sent it over there that he's liked it. He's going to approve it. He's like, cool. Let's walk you to the door. I mean, that was, <laughs> it was mutual by the time yeah. we got done. So I get the, if, and it's still, the money just wasn't worth it. it. It was good money for what I was doing. This was years ago. It was more money than I was making in other consulting gigs, yeah. but uh, it still wasn't like I hated every minute of it. And I would have rather made half the money or a quarter of the money and did something I enjoyed and enjoyed Enjoy being around money. the people. Right. But, and that's uh, the thing is when we don't have cash, sometimes I always say to people, always pay yourself first. Always have a little bit of contingency money here, a little cash reserve, because when opportunities come by, if you're desperate because you got to pay your bills in the month, you'll just say yes to everything. I've done that before, multiple times in my 20s, my 30s. And, but now I can sit back and say, you know what, let me think about that and sleep on it for 20 or 48 hours or a couple of days or a week and then get back to them and then weigh it out in my mind. Is it the best and highest use of my time? Am I qualified and protecting my time to the best of this? And is this a leverage, high leverage activity that I can do? And, but when you're desperate, you'll take anything and then you regret getting into some things. And so it's always important. I'm not going to call him out on the show just because I like the guy and I don't know if I'm okay to say who he is or what he bought. I was talking to another acquisition entrepreneur here recently who just closed his business. I was trying to get him on the show. And after hearing the story, I don't want him on the show. He bought something. He bought something for him. It was life changing, right? The guy's never made more than $100,000 a year. This thing cash flows about $2.5 million a year. So he can pay himself almost anything he wants. Yeah. Had a family member come in and help. So he, you know, it was above, he, the purchase price was above SBA. So a family member came and helped fund it. Now he's dealing with a family member, father-in-law, all things, who is very strict, very business-minded. 
And he's like, well, Kyle, I just got to, I just got to get through this for the next four or five years. We're going to sell it. I said, you just give it four or five years of your life. How well do you think you're going to perform? If you don't like the product the company makes, you don't like the people that are working for you and you don't want to be under the thumb of your father-in-law who helped you purchase this. I said, I don't see a path for you to win this game unless you change that mindset, right? You're in it now. Now you got to figure out how to change your mindset about what you got yourself into because you probably shouldn't have jumped into it to start with. But that's a, that's something that a lot of people don't get. Right. And I can't, I, there's probably a number out there that I would still go, okay, I'll do it. Right. And I know I shouldn't, but there's, there, we all have that number where somebody well, said, that oh, number yeah. For sure we do. yeah, yeah. There's like, there's a number that I'll put up with hell for the next five to 10 years for. I'm sure there is. It's going to be eight figures at least, right? Maybe nine. <laughs> but, but there's a number out there. You're like, hey, I'll pay you $10 million a year to, to buy a septic company or something, but you got to run mm-hmm. the pump half the time. I probably would like nod my head and go run the pump for five or six years, but um, I'd regret it, right? There's other things you can do. Yeah. Uh, that's a powerful lesson you have there in make sure it's something that you like that gives you, it's a win-win. It mm-hmm. gives you positive energy back, right? Life's short enough that you know, five years, 10 years isn't guaranteed to any of us. Like I'm 50. There's uh, nobody's guaranteed me another five or 10 years. I have friends that I've got, at least I can count. I'm above one hand on counting friends that passed away before me. Yeah. Right. We have a lot more centers behind us than in front of us. Uh, yeah. That said, if you ask me to do something I hate for the next five or six years, I'm like, you know, what if that's the rest of my life? Or I've got a six-year-old and an 11-year-old. If you ask me something that thinks that it takes 70, 80 hours a week of my time, they're going to be adults by the time we're done with this. No, yes. right now I have my time to do what I want when I want and get to spend time with them. I'm like, my kids get off all this week in about an hour from now. If they want to go do something, we can. I don't have anything else scheduled after that. I do work after they get off, but I don't have anything scheduled after they get off. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So if they're busy and they're playing their video games and they're occupied, I'll sit here, write an article or review some content or something. Yeah. But if they want daddy's attention, they got it. And yeah. that's the life I want to live. I want to be yeah. able to live a life yeah. where presence, when, right? Yeah. yeah. The, I want to be present to the moment when the kids want me to be. And I don't want to Absolutely. be, I don't want to be told that you have to pull 80 hours a week because it's a startup. Man, we're hitting the top of the hour. Let's make sure everybody knows how to reach out to you, how to connect with you. And one thing I like to ask, let's do the first thing. Top three things. If somebody could remember only three things from this show, what would you want them to remember? Number one is all we are is a network of conversations. Everything you really, really want in your life is going to come from strangers. I'll make a request, which I'll learn more in the book until I become. Second thing is, is that most of your goals and dreams don't require your actions. So whether you're working a startup, you're doing M&A right now, whatever it is, most of your goals and dreams do not require your actions. Without integrity, nothing works, right? Time will either promote you or time will expose you. It's just a matter of time whether you get promoted or you get exposed. And so if you don't follow through on being a person of your word, over time, you're going to get exposed versus get promoted. It's just a matter of time. And so realize that, that if you focus on staying true to your word and being your integrity and commit to your commitments, that over time you'll get promoted. Awesome. Awesome. And then one big ask, if, if the audience could help you accomplish one thing, make a connection for you, donate to one of your charities, one big ask, if you could have, they could wrangle up and make it, introduce you to a CPA firm. I don't know what it is. What would be the one big ask yeah. of the audience? So one thing is CPA firms for sure. We're always looking to buy CPA firms right now in Florida and Arizona. Um, big thing is I'm passionate about hiking. If you want to get access to me, you come hiking with me. We have a program called E2E, which is Elevate to Educate. You can go to hikingfundraiser.com, hikingfundraiser.com. Uh, we've got some dates announced at hikingfundraiser.com for the U.S. and Canada. People come from all walks of life, all different skill levels. You come out, you meet some great people. We have Olympic athletes, professional sports athletes. We have celebrities. We have 
influential people. And we have built all walks of humanity that come out. It's a great positive environment. It's good for your well-being, your mental health. And all the financial dollars we raise goes to Link Foundation and Link Leadership Academy, which is our family foundation for global philanthropy. And right now we're building schools over in Africa. And you'll learn all about that at hikingfundraiser.com. And yeah, so if you know people who love to hike, like to be outdoors, like to network, collaborate, they like to sponsor events, go to hikingfundraiser.com and come out. It's a movement. We're making a huge difference in people's lives. It's a lot of fun. And we get to celebrate. We get to the top of that mountain and you have a great time. <laughs> That's really cool. It's really cool. Well, I appreciate having you on the show today. We're going to wrap this show up and we'll call that a show. Hey, it's your host, Ronald Skelton. I want to thank you personally for watching the show today and invite you to call our new hotline, 918-641-4150. That's 918-641-4150. Call us and tell us about our show. Ask questions. Uh, suggest a guest or even tell me about a business you have for sale and we'll reach back out to you. Again, that number is 918-641-4150. Call our hotline, leave us some information. Thank you. I want to announce our new channel partners, the ITX Marketplace. Since 1998, ITX has created $5 billion in value by selling more than 225 IT businesses in 20 countries. ITX works exclusively with IT-enabled businesses generating between $5 million and $30 million who are ready to be sold and M&A decision makers who are ready to buy. For over 25 years, ITX has developed industry knowledge that helps determine whether a seller is a good fit for their buyers before making the match. ITX Mergers and Acquisition Marketplace we have partnered with has a proprietary database of 50,000 plus global buyers seeking IT service firms, managed service providers, Microsoft service providers, software as a service platforms, and channel partners with Microsoft, Oracle, ServiceNow, and, and, and the Salesforce space. If you have an IT-enabled business you're ready to sell, I want you to visit the IT exchangenet.com slash marketplace how to exit that link will be in the show notes visit them now